0: The whole idea of spiritual practice actually is uh, our ability somehow uh, to break through uh, the kind of boxes we put ourselves in. So, tonight, uh, talking about boxes that we put ourselves in, I'd like to talk about uh, what is known as the Maras. Uh, Usually, there's considered the ten. armies of Mara. And Mara simply means the tempter. Um, Story. Always good to start with story. Uh, So there was this little bugger. He was a a, a little kind of demon. And uh, this is out of suttas. And he um, there's all these kind of heaven realms. And uh, in one of these heaven realms he decides he's going to go up and kind of bust through the doors and hang out. So he goes in and and uh, he's been drinking a little before he gets there. So he's a little tipsy, and, and he comes in, and um, uh, they're kind of this big banquet table and all the kind of food on the table and stuff. And, uh, and there's a, a series of uh, sort of uh, gods in that sort of realm hanging out and uh, having their supper. And so he comes in, he jumps up on the table, and he starts grabbing food and kind of throwing around and, drinking more of this, uh, you know, I don't know, mead wine or whatever is uh, available and getting quite belligerent. Uh, and as he does this, the gods that are there, they uh, uh, first they just kind of notice it and then they start to get more and more annoyed. Uh, and as they get more and more annoyed, uh, they uh, begin uh, kind of cornering this little guy and, and uh, Uh, asking him, you know, could you leave, get out of here? And uh, they kind of begin their bantering back and forth. And as this bantering begins, uh, this little demon, uh, he starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, the big double doors that uh, they could kind of get him out of. But as they uh, get angrier and angrier with him, And this kind of bantering goes back and forth. He gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Pretty soon, he's so big he won't even get out the door. He's huge. And uh, so they're kind of, uh, kind of befuddled of uh, how to deal with this. And at that uh, moment, uh, the kind of the uh, head honcho or uh, uh, king of the gods comes into the room. And he kind of assesses what's going on here and uh, how to deal with this in some way. And so at that point, he uh, stops and he goes up to the demon, who by now is enormous. And he says, oh, please, come, come, come sit in my chair. Uh, Let me get you uh, some more wine. Let me get you uh, some food. What, What would you like? And as he begins to uh, make contact, and uh, this demon is suddenly uh, noticed and seen and felt heard in some way, he begins to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, And pretty soon he's actually back to his own size. And uh, at that point, uh, through the kind of friendliness and uh, not the the irritable other gods that had gotten caught in this kind of game, uh, he was able to escort him out. So that's the that story of uh, actually how, uh, how we, uh, uh, in this practice, work uh, with the Myers. Uh It's a sense of uh, turning towards it and uh, getting to know it and talk to it. There's a wonderful um, painting, in, actually, in Sarnath, uh, India, where the Buddha, they say, turned the first wheel of the law. And there are uh, a series of paintings in the temple there, and one of them is this uh, main uh, picture of the Buddha in his Night of Enlightenment, where he actually uh, he touches the earth, is witnessed by the earth, uh, by Mother Earth, uh, in his... Uh, state of wakefulness. But uh, what happens prior to that is uh, he has to uh, confront uh, in himself and around him are these ten ten armies of Mara, uh, these uh, kind of demons that uh, come and uh, cause us, um, uh, really they're obstacles or difficulties. This is from Carl Jung. Enlightenment consists not only in seeing the luminous, but in making darkness visible. The latter is much more difficult, so it is far less popular. So I'm glad to see you're all here, because this is really a place uh, that uh, is our willingness to turn towards these maras. Uh, these obstacles, these difficulties. Uh, From Pema Chodron, what we call obstacles are really the way the world and our entire experience teaches us where we're stuck. Uh, So these are the maras. Part of this process, they talk about it as actually uh, a purification process. Uh, It's a process of sitting down, uh, you quiet, and in this quieting process, uh, there is, uh, what, what is it that comes up? Uh, a lot of times, uh, these are the first things that come up are those obstacles or those things that keep us uh, from our own peace, uh, from these things that, that open us to our body and open us to our hearts and to the world around us in some way. We stay myopic caught in these. Uh, um, kind of uh, self-dictated difficulties, obstacles. Another from Pema Chodron. Nothing ever goes away until it has taught us what we need to know. It never goes away. You know, it's like you can uh, decide, hey, it's not working here in Marin County. So you kind of, you know, the relationship, the work, the jobs. well, I don't know. And so you decide, oh, I'm going to pack everything up. I'm going to move to Maine. So bingo, you <laughs> pack everything up and off you go to Maine. And, uh, you know, suddenly a couple of months later, these obstacles, these difficulties come up again, you know. Well, what happens, you know? Hey, they've got new names, new faces, you know, but it's the same stuff. You know, it comes and it uh, holds you in captivity again. There's a uh, I, that great movie, you know, when I think of this in the sense of repetition, how we just keep recreating our own kind of maras, is uh, that movie Groundhog Day, you know, (laughs) comes up. Man, it's just over and over again. We keep doing it, you know. So I'd like to speak about four of these Maras this evening. Uh, These uh, kind of... uh, uh, obstacles or uh, really uh, difficulties uh, that hold us in captivity for periods of time. One of the, I'll go back to this painting. One of the beautiful pieces in this painting is that you have these maras, you have these great armies out there, and they've got spears and arrows and everything, and they're all attacking uh, the Buddha as he sits there uh, allowing himself to find uh, this place of, uh, of steadiness and peace. Uh, of wholeness. And uh, the, it, what the picture is, is they have these auras uh, basically around the Buddha, uh, energetic fields. And as these spears and arrows and swords, they come at him. Uh, through the first barrier, uh, they turn to flowers. And as they go through the second barrier, they Flowers turn to petals, and they fall to his feet. You know, a wonderful image of uh, how to work with these difficulties you know, uh, is actually uh, is to transform them, uh, just like uh, the story of the little demon. So the first of these maras uh, is known as uh, the Devaputra Mara. Uh, Deva is sort of a celestial uh, being, uh, a Mara that uh, traps us uh, in the pleasantness. Uh, that one of the pieces is that uh, we're always, uh, what are we looking for? Uh, we always want comfort, right? Uh, we uh, turn away from um, uh, discomfort, uh, pain of any kind. Uh, and uh, try to somehow avoid it. A lot of us end up in kind of uh, addictive behavior um, that is part of almost a cultural cultural thing. It's okay to um, uh, what It's okay for this practice of desire. Uh, but it's a very expensive because it is Amara. So there's this thing about seeking pleasure and avoiding pain that's the kind of essence here. And it's not, um, you have to understand, it's not that there are moments of pleasantness that come up. Uh, and I'm not talking because uh, what do we have in this world? We have some pleasant moments and we have some unpleasant moments. And they arise and they're there for a while and they pass away. But what happens in the mind is that uh, pleasant sensations arise. Let's just use this as an example I'd love to use. This. There's, we, you get ten moments of pleasure, okay? That's what you get. <laughs> you know? Okay, that's what you get. What happens? So the first moment comes up, it's cool, you kind of can feel that and it feels great. And then the next moment comes up and the next moment comes up. And then what happens? Is we actually, at that point, uh, we, we can just be with it. And then suddenly we begin to grasp. You know? And what do you know about grasping? What do you know about desire? What does it feel like in your body? You're kind of leaning out towards something. It doesn't feel very good. And so what happened is you had ten moments, and three moments of just, you know, it's just pleasant moments. They rise, they there, enjoy it, you know. Uh, But what do we do instead? We reach out and we grasp it, and then we try to control and hold it and keep it and do something with it. This is Mara. This is the Devaputramara. It grasps and tries to hold the pleasant sensations. And yet, uh, it is causing us uh, actually difficulty. Uh, and our, we have to begin to discriminate and know what that's like. So that we can have these, and it's really the practice of meditation is trying to say, hey, you got 10 moments? Take it, you know. There's a a great piece here. This is from William Blake. He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. Here's a quote from Seeking the Heart of Wisdom. And again, the problem is not the object of desire, but the energy in the mind. The energy of desire keeps us moving, looking for that thing that is really going to do it for us. This wanting mind is itself painful. It's a self-perpetuating habit that does not allow us to be where we are because we are grasping for something somewhere else. Even when we get what we want, we then want something more or different because the habit of wanting is so strong. It is a sense that being here and now is not enough. That being here and now is not enough um that's this Mara, you know and we have to get to know it in ourselves that this really this practice is so much as simply uh, of staying uh, with what it is that's happening you know we don't need to uh, do anything with it try to capture it or hold it or box it in but to simply experience what we've been given as a gift And actually, those 10 moments are a gift. And maybe you'll get 10 unpleasant moments after that. Uh, In a way, that's also a gift, if you're willing to kind of uh, stay with it and feel it for what it is. I uh, tell this story because when my daughter was about 8, I remember... Uh, she put this list on my refrigerator, and it was things for Christmas. And it was a little list, you know, of, I don't know, five or six things on it. And, you know, she was young enough where it was doable. It wasn't, you know, outrageous or out there. So she actually got everything on the list. And uh, I remember uh, I was sitting on the couch, and uh, when she opened the last one, you know, uh, I looked over, and there was some incredible sadness. You know, she'd gotten everything she wanted, but that habit of wanting uh, was so strong that somehow, you know, it wasn't enough. And how we do that over and over. And she came, and she sat in my lap. You know, and we talked about it, about how, you know, it just this leaning out and grasping, and how painful that is. You know. And we have a culture that's so wrapped up in this, that somehow it's not enough, you're not enough, and uh, you're being uh, duped, you know, you're being duped. Uh, And um, we have to get to know uh, this Mara, this difficulty. I was thinking uh, part of this uh, process also is um, it's really this ability to open our hearts to this human dilemma. You know, uh, that um, we can easily, you know, we armor and we push away and. Um, kind of diminish, uh, somehow, our ability to be open and soft. Uh, And there's this huge, simple challenge uh, to uh, recognize that uh, the practice is not trying to uh, discriminate, actually, between pleasantness and unpleasantness its willingness to be open to whatever it is that's arising. And fully being there, uh, with a heart that's open, a mind that accepts uh, the limitations of being a human being, uh, that um, it's not always uh, going to be one way or another. Uh, And we have the capacity to hold all of it. The second of these maras is called Skanda Mara, and uh, little to understand about the Skanda. It's also known as the Five Aggregates, and and what it was that the Buddha, uh, when he was awakened, he said there are five um, components which are not separable. They happen simultaneous in one moment to create uh, this uh, this experience. And the first of these is we have to have a body. There has to be form. Um, and of course, uh, having a body, it's uh, you know, prone to what illness and. Um, Uh, difficulties, uh, and also pleasantness. Um, But we have to know this as body. Uh, Also, if there's body, then um, there is uh, a thing called feeling. Our ability to um, know the pain and the pleasure uh, through the senses uh, there's also our ability, uh, the third one is, is perception itself and memory, of these aggregates. Um, also along with uh, our ability to per- perception, to perceive, uh, and know, uh, there is uh, what are known as mental formations. And uh, these mental formations are really uh, love, hate, fear, anger, uh, states of mind that arise due to the condition of the ability to perceive and uh, feel what's here uh, in a body. And then the fifth of these is, is actually consciousness itself. The consciousness, uh, it's the ability to know itself. And experience this kind of—I uh, think of it as a—the a, uh, flame of the candle. You know, if you've ever been around someone who uh, has passed away, uh, that flame is gone. Uh, the body's still there, and uh, the senses are still intact, uh, but it doesn't function anymore. Skandamara, what happens? We're going along in life and uh, something happens where uh, you're somehow uh, shocked or I always like to think of it as the rug is pulled out from under you. And uh, when that happens, Uh, what happens is the skandamara moves in almost immediately. And you recreate who you think you are. Okay? Instead of saying, I don't know, and I don't, you know, this a lot's going on, I'm just going to stay in this space, is you make up this kind of uh, self or ego or uh, whatever you want to call this. Um... Uh, posturing. Uh, I have a story here. In the uh, probably about seventy-three or something like that, I, I spent about eight years in Asia, and uh, I'd been there a few years by then, and um, I. Um, Uh, decided I would uh, help run a, a meditation course in India, in a, a town called Dalhousie, up to about 8,000 feet in the mountains. And it was September, and um, usually the monsoon is over about that time, about the middle of September. And uh, there were about 200 people at this retreat with my teacher, Sankoenka uh, at the time. And uh, I was given the uh, wonderful job of uh, managing the um, uh, men's uh, kind of dorms and that part of the retreat. So uh, we were pretty funky in those days. I saw this picture in a tricycle of us in like 1971 or something like that. Boy, we were out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know. Uh, living on the edge of. Uh, uh. So uh, I got there and I said, Well, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a clock. I didn't have a clock. And so I had to borrow an alarm clock from someone. So I borrowed the alarm clock. And uh, uh, in that particular system, we got up at 4 o'clock and, um, and we went to sit about 4 so um, I set the thing for 4 o'clock and go to bed, and this it's just, its the monsoon should be over, but this huge rainstorm comes in, and it's just pelting rain. I mean, it is just coming down in sheets. And uh, the alarm goes off, and I get up, and I was a really good yogi in those days, you know. So I go and I slap that bell, and I go in everybody's room, you know, almost up to their ear, and... And uh, get them all up, kind of send them off. To, and the meditation hall is maybe, oh, it was a good 200 yards away. And it's just <laughs> pelting rain, right? So uh, being a good yogi, I just insist. I get everybody up and they all kind of you know, bundle themselves and stumble off. And I go back to my room. <laughs> I look at the clock. It's one o'clock in the morning. I got them all in the hall, all the guys. You know, I said, "Oh my God, what have I done?" You know, and I sat in the room and I just I, and I went through all my childhood stuff about you know how oh God, I can't do this, you know, and you know I'm terrible and, and uh, I can't even keep a alarm clock together. And there was this sense of uh, how I would keep it every time I came around to that that place of being really vulnerable and having kind of blown it, and I would recreate myself. You know, oh, me, you know, that's okay. And there was this, this, will, this unwillingness uh, to allow that to go through me. And this kind of putting up a wall and protecting myself from the truth of what had happened. And this is a huge piece. The rug gets pulled out. I don't know so many reasons, but it happens. And what happens is that somehow uh, we bolster ourselves up and uh, protect who we think we are. And this is the Skandamara. So my challenge to you is actually, uh, when that happens, is there is ability, because it's really just the creation of what? I don't know, sometimes I think it's just it. um, uh, Who are we anyway? You know, we kind of make ourselves up all the time. I don't even know about memory. You know? I don't know if I even remember what happened before. No, I recreate all my stories in the moment. No. <laughs> Think about that. No, no. So you have this chance to sit and allow the rug to be pulled out from under you. And don't create yourself again. See if you can stay in not knowing not knowing. Uh, there is uh, a huge, huge gift about the mystery of how things work. When we don't move, we just stay in that place. You know? And so that's a very vulnerable place. Um, and yet, at the same time, uh, think of the possibilities. The other, the same old stuff, right? You just redo yourself. But what could be different there? No, we don't know. That's part of this remarkable mystery uh, that's available. <laughs> you never know. Something's going on out there. So I'd like to talk, actually, uh, so that's, I'll let you kind of uh, work with this Marav, when it's pulled out from under you. you, How do you want to choose? You want to choose to, you know, put up a brick wall, defend yourself, or maybe, you know, there's this wonderful coin I think of, of, one side is inflation, you know? The only thing is, if you flip the coin around, what's on the other side? Oh, I'm terrible. It's deflation, and we kind of sit there and flip this coin of inflation, deflation, back and forth, recreating ourselves. Think about it. So I want to move on to this uh, Kleshamara. First of all. uh, one of the translations is obscuration. It's also known as the kind of uh, the three poisons of uh, hatred, uh, greed, and delusion. Okay, big. And um, uh, these obscurations. Uh, uh, the best way I can describe it is. Um, we have these. We have this wonderful capacity for emotions, and I know the first when I first went to Asia in the '60s, and um, I went there, and and I had had a really hard time. I'd grown up kind of uh, uh, road. I came to California from. I grew up in Europe, and I came here in the like uh, 1966, this, when everything was kind of over there in the middle of San Francisco. Uh, the hate was just blowing up. I ended up a street kid and um, kind of lost it, you know. And uh, I went to India um, really uh, in, the, in the late 60s to, to be healed. Uh, it was really a place, it was uh, a mother cult, what I call a mother culture, a place where you could kind of be crazy and it was okay, you know. You didn't have to be together. So uh, I came to this practice uh, actually to uh, put myself together. Uh, so I would say the first 10 years of my practice was um, about learning a specific practice, which maybe some of you need. And it's a practice called detachment. Okay? And I really needed it uh, just so I could get some perspective. Uh, uh, the practice uh, worked that way. It was good. You know, it held me until I kind of healed a lot of things inside me. And then, probably the next 10 years, uh, was learning really about uh, a practice of non attachment, where I could kind of be in things, but I wasn't, uh, I, I didn't engage so much. In the last probably, well, it's probably been 15 years now, I've been working with this thing called uh, really my relationship to my attachments. You know, can I love and feel the pain of that and also the joy of it? Uh, can I enter uh, the sphere of, uh, of uh, really a passionate... My teachers in Asia, one thing about them, they were passionate people. You know, They had a deep passion for life and yet when I read some of the stuff, I wonder, you know, what, <laughs> where does that fit in? And uh, I think it's why they're living teachers. Uh, it's not just stuff written in books. Uh, it has to be something that's felt and touched uh, by human beings. And part of the life was to learn that, uh, also as a male, I remember as a, a young, uh, I grew up in Switzerland, and, and um, I remember in boarding. I've said to boarding school when I was six, and I used to go down and I would um, uh, uh, hide uh, in, the, in the where we had our skis and ice skates and all that stuff. And I would go down there to cry under like this desk because uh, it wasn't okay, you know, as a guy uh, and as a kid uh, to do that. Um, They're having fun. (laughs) Uh. And I shut a lot of that stuff down. And what I've learned is the richness. You know, it's like the difference uh, for me in these last uh, 15 years uh, in thanks to therapy and relationships and uh, actually a divorce. Uh, that I learned how, uh, how rich is like the difference between black and white and technicolor. But there's also a danger in it. You know? And this Kleshamara is about that. That you sit here and, uh, you know, by gum, I know, you make up a bunch of stories about how things are. You know? And uh, we all think, you know, right, wrong, real, not real. But what happens with this Kleshamara is uh, you get this little can of gasoline, right? And you have this story, and you, take, you pour a little gasoline on it. It gets a little bigger. And you pour a little more gasoline out. And pretty soon what happens? Boy, you make up these incredible, incredible stories about how you think it is. Um, we have to be really careful. That's this Kleshamara coming in. I know uh, many years ago when I was going, I died going through this, going through a divorce, and I had a couple kids. And, you know, I remember I would go and I'd wake up, I couldn't sleep. And I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would uh, sit, uh, sometimes for a couple hours. And I, I was just straight, I'd just kind of watch my breath and be cool. And um, uh, I didn't get too involved. And then I would stop. And as soon as I stopped, I would just cry. You know, I probably for a year and a half I cried every day. You know. Uh, for so many things. You know, it started on one thing it was this divorce and kind of loss. But then there were so many losses in my life that I hadn't allowed myself to grieve and uh, permission to do that. And um, there's a beautiful piece to that. But I also found during that time, uh, I met uh, Kleshamar a lot, Uh, sometimes in anger and sometimes in fear, Uh, obsessiveness about things I thought were right or wrong. And I would just, you know, I had a big, I had kerosene, gasoline, I had everything you could imagine, I would pour it on there. And I don't know how real that ever was. You know, I don't know how real that ever was. No. Um, so this question mara is very tricky, uh, and um, so watch, watch out. So the the last of these maras. um this uh, known, it's the Mara of all Maras, and uh, it's called Yama. Uh, Yama is death. You know, it's so amazing. I, um, I teach up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, uh, I go up there twice a year to teach uh, seven-day retreats. And uh, the person I stay with up there, he's, he's my age and married. He has a house that just it looks right, I mean, right on the Grand Tetons. And, and, um, and he finally getting to a place where his life was all together. You know, he came to the last retreat, and his ribs were hurting. And, um, and so we talked after the retreat, and he had to lay down quite a bit, and... Um, Went to doctor and he had uh, bone cancer. You know, it was like, whoa, what happened? You know, what happened? Uh, I hear these stories. You know, out of the blue. You know, uh, when I was, uh, I'd come to the states and um, I was 21 years old and um, my mother was on the way uh, on her way to see my sister who lived in. Uh, in Venice, and uh, going to Verona. Uh, some, what I heard anyway, was some Ferrari kind of at a, over a hundred miles an hour, kind of passed her and scared her, and she hit another car head-on. Gone. You no. Know? Um, we don't know. We have no idea. And the thing is that that this Yamamara is we kind of get it together and we get really comfortable. What happens even if, forget the death part, what if you just get so okay that you know everything's like cushy, you know? And uh, life's just going to stay this way, right? cushy. Um, you sleep, you know? You don't get it—that uh, how precious this is. It could uh, stop any time for you or for those around you. And so, when we are not seduced and we're not uh, lulled by this yama-mara, we recognize the uh, this practice of actually of. Uh, recognizing that, uh, what is this body? What is happening here? It is is a river of change, a constant flow that's constantly changing and moving. It's dying, and it's being reborn constantly in this, uh, this river of experience. And one of the beauties, I think, one of the things I've held uh, out of uh, kind of Carlos Castaneda's uh, work is um, where Don Juan uh, tells him to uh, keep death over his left shoulder. And uh, it's a phenomenal practice. Uh, this last year, I did this kind of, it's a kind of Tibetan practice chud, where I took a, took one of these Zafus, and I had another one in front of me, and I decided I would do kind of a this Gestalt, this, this kind of dialogue with myself. And what it was, was um, if I'm going to die, what's important to me? What is the most important thing to me right now? You know, what is it that I would do? And I realized that When I was 22 or something like that, I uh, went trekking in the Himalayas in my second trip to Asia, actually. And um, I remember up in the mountains about a week and I said, if I ever have kids, if I ever have kids, I've got to take them and uh, uh, let them experience this world. So uh, next month, uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking my kids. I've got an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 25-year-old. <laughs> and, um, uh, well, two of them are mine and two of them are their friends. But, you know, it's uh, it's really, and this piece about, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't know how long they're going to be here. And at some point you have to decide, what is it that's important to you? You, know, you want to make money? Uh, you want to you make your job so important? You want to make, you know, stuff? Uh, or do you want to see that you're being lulled, put to sleep by so many things that you think that's so important? Ask this question. Sit in front of a pillow. Talk to yourself. Ask yourself, what is it? Uh, where is your liveliness? What is it that's important to you? So uh, these are the four maras. You know, don't uh, get to know uh, what pulls you, the, the Deva Putramara. that uh, this, it's, uh, it's a trance uh, that uh, somehow that if we get filled enough with that, that we'll be happy. You know, enough pleasant sensations, and you'll be happy. The Buddha said, no, you no. Know? He said, there is a place in the center of your experience uh, that is not uh, conditioned by whether it's pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. And right now, as you sit here, uh, there is, you can recognize in this moment that there is actually peace. Uh, it's about the present, uh, it's a, not about the past, not about a future. They don't actually exist. No. What you have is in this body, in this moment. Uh, you have uh, an experience that uh, is just now. Uh, and it is free. It is simply free. And when we move out of that, we are caught. Uh, what you can do in this practice is, is, is begin to own uh, this freedom that's available to you uh, moment to moment. Uh, it is not dependent on the last moment and it is not um, uh, conditioning the next moment. And so, again and again, I, if I could sit here and repeat one thing over and over to you, is uh, for you to recognize that uh, you have the choice to be free or not. These maras, suffering is optional in this case. And the pain, I cannot do anything about the unpleasantness. This is part of the karmic reality of what happens. But, uh, I do have a choice of how to experience it present, uh, even in the discomfort. And maybe it's just fractions of a second, but it breaks up these maras and doesn't let these trances, these conditions, these obstacles, hold you for long periods of time. So I think I would like to end here with, uh, if we can find this. Horn that uh, uh, I haven't read for a while, but I've read many times. And uh, one of these things I love because it's about uh, living, it's by Orhai Mountain Dreamer. I hear she has a new one out, but this is uh, the one I hold. It doesn't interest me what you do for a living, I want to know what you ache for. And if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing, it doesn't interest me how old you are. I want to know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dreams, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I want to know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from the fear of further pain. I want to know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I want to know if you can be with joy, mine or your own. If you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, be realistic, or remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you're telling me is true. I want to know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul. I want to know if you will be faithful and therefore trustworthy. I want to know if you can see beauty even when it's not pretty every day. And if you can source your life from this presence. I want to know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand on the edge of a lake and shout to the silver of the full moon, yes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I want to know if you can get up after a night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone and do what needs to be done for the children. It doesn't interest me who you are or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you've studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else falls away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. So we're just going to close here with a couple minutes of metta practice, loving-kindness practice. So I'd like to just start this practice by, many times I feel that it's, uh, it's, there's a somatic part of just this willingness to touch the heart uh, with your hand, and just to put your energy. Uh, the fingers are so powerful. And just to touch this area of heart. And then breathing into the heart, uh, that there is this ability to uh, recognize this, uh, this kindness, Uh, this willingness to soften. And first we just start with this practice of uh, acknowledging forgiveness. And I'd like you just to start with yourself. Uh, For times that you may have abandoned yourself or that you may have harmed yourself through your uh, inner critic or judge, uh, this uh, being hard and uh, sometimes cruel to ourselves, and that if we have harmed ourselves in our minds, our hearts, or bodies, that we extend forgiveness to ourselves, and then we can simply open this up. If there's anyone, anyone. Uh, And we'll just do this in our own terms. If there's anyone that I may have harmed, knowingly or unknowingly, uh, I ask for their forgiveness. And this is not to condone any acts of others at all. This is about our willingness to be free from our past. And so if there's anyone who may have harmed you, to me, unknowingly or unknowingly, that I'm willing to work on this. I'm willing to undergo this process called forgiveness, no matter how long that may take. And really, this forgiveness is about the past. And so we can bring now our attention into this area of the heart. And uh, and if your hand gets tired, you can just put it down Uh, and just put the energetics in this area of the heart, the center of your being. And just simply through these phrases of of bringing the mind uh, into the body to open the heart. May I be happy. May I be peaceful, just repeating these phrases, touching the body heart. May I be healthy. May I be free from any inner or outer harm. May I have ease, ease of being. May I awaken and be free. May I be happy. May I be peaceful. May I be healthy. May I be free from any inner or outer harm. May I have ease, a ease of being, and awaken and be free. And now, just from uh, this willingness to uh, really extend this love to ourselves, uh, the Buddha said, there is no one more worthy than love, than yourself. And that when we can send this love to ourselves, then we can include others. It's not about losing ourselves and others. But it's from this place of wholeness and strength that we can include others in our lives. And so if there's someone that, uh, maybe children or parents or partner, uh, friends, that are part of your intimate life, that you support or they support you in some way, that you can just bring them into your heart. They are part of you. And just to name them or see them in your mind's eye. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be healthy. May you be safe and have ease and be free. And then, as we include those that are really part of us, uh, we can extend this out to those around us uh, who have come here this evening uh, in this uh, spirit of of really uh, sometimes enlightenment, just lightening up a little. You know? Just lightening up, uh, letting go of some of those maras, those old stories. And um, and this, just extending then from the center of our being out to those around you, behind you, in front of you, and to each side of you. And it's really sort of uh, holding the center of yourself. And then, uh, like rainbows, moving in all directions around you. Uh, Circles upon circles, uh, touching those beings around you, including them. Uh, Including the earth that uh, supports us. uh, It's for our interdependence with uh, the trees and the greenery and the small creatures and big creatures around us. Um, The sky, the birds and the stars and the sun and the moon. Uh, the air we breathe and the water. Uh, This whole awareness and connection with the world around us and being in harmony with uh, the nature. And then on out to beings everywhere. So beings everywhere may be happy and peaceful. Uh, And that if there's any merit that we accumulate from this work together, that it is ultimately for the benefit of all beings. Uh, You cannot do this practice uh, really for yourself. Uh, It is uh, actually a practice that uh, is to break through that and to extend it out so uh, as our hearts open, so they touch the hearts of others. May all beings everywhere be happy. So, I hope this week uh, you will uh, watch closely for these maras uh, as they uh, hold us. They're really trances. So, uh, good luck.